Well, happy Easter, everyone. I pray that this is a season of joy and new beginnings and signs of spring and the hope of Christ in your life. If you're a guest with us at Grace today, we're so incredibly thrilled that you're here. Uh, our church has a deep and abiding love for God and for the Erie community, for our region and our world, our ever-growing church family online and through our TV broadcasts. And, and, and we just have a love for people, especially those who feel like they're distant from God or maybe who are searching for meaning and purpose in their life. And if that's you, I, I just hope you, you feel welcome today into our family. You, you know, the ancient Easter weekend provides such a unique microcosm of life, like what we call Good Friday. Uh, it was a day of, of suffering and pain, and Saturday was a day of doubt and confusion for the disciples. And listen, you're going to face those kind of days over and over and over and over during your lifetime, amen? You know, wondering how will I get through the pain? How can I overcome this doubt? And then Sunday happened. And it changed everything forever. And, and, and some of you are in the cycle of pain and doubt. And you need to be reminded today that there is a force powerful enough to overcome the struggles you're experiencing. It's Easter. It's because of Jesus that, that even that which was dead or lost forever can be brought back to life. And so today we're launching a brand new teaching series called I Believe in God But. And we're gonna be exploring some of the most common doubts people have about Christianity. You know, in a recent poll, 87% of Americans said that they believe in God. Uh, that's great, but when you dive in a little further, many of those people believe in God, but they struggle with the Bible, or they're not a huge fan of the church, or they don't want to get so religious that they can't still have fun on weekends. And so we're going to explore some of those critiques and criticisms of Christianity, and we're going to explore them head on, and we're going to own some blame, and we're also going to challenge some of the assumptions. It's going to be fun. So it's a six-week series, and as always, here at the beginning, I want to invite you to make a commitment to join us for the whole series. Just decide today, I'm going to invest six hours over the next month and a half to be in church. I'm going to invest six hours in my spiritual development. I just want to invite you to draw that line in the sand today and say, I'm going to be here for the whole series. I'm going to learn and grow and meet some new people along the way. I don't think you'll regret it. So today in week one, we're going to talk about this critique that says, I trust in science and, and not this supernatural thing. It's kind of a weird Easter topic, but here's the connection. This thing that we've come to, to, to commemorate and celebrate today, the resurrection of Jesus, I mean, it's out there. In a strictly naturalistic, materialistic worldview, where to be true, something has to be seen under a microscope or put in a mathematical formula or be tested and reproducible through the scientific method. Like, when that's your framework, and then, then you hear something like, you know, we're hedging our entire eternities on the fact that a dead Jewish man came back to life a couple thousand years ago, like, that seems a bit much. In fact, the Apostle Paul says so in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. He says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is worthless, and so is your faith. Paul says, if Easter isn't real, then like, what are we doing here? This is silly. This is stupid. We should all just go and eat ham and, and be done with the whole thing. And so some people look at the resurrection and they say, come on. Like, we're modern people now. We, we live in an enlightened scientific world. We don't believe in fairy tales. I'm going to hedge my bets with science, they say, and not this supernatural stuff that you're selling. And so the dividing lines between Christianity and science are drawn. And by the way, they only seem to get worse during times of crisis, like we just experienced with COVID. Like we, we've heard over the last couple of years, the steady re refrain that Christians are anti-science and they're science deniers. 
The, the dominant phrases have been, you know, trust the science, follow the science, and some Christians dug in their heels. They denied that COVID even existed, or they claimed personal religious liberty anytime any measure was put in place for the common good, and they shouted things like, I believe in faith, not fear. And listen, not to give away the ending too early, but I don't think science and Christianity are at odds. In fact, exactly the opposite. I believe that when all the facts are known, that there will be 100% agreement between science and Christianity. Now, before we all sing Kumbaya and end and, and our service today, I also want to point out that there's a real difference between science and Christianity, and it has to do with this thing called scope. So, so just a quick definition, a de dictionary definition of science. Science is knowledge covering general truths of the operation of general laws, especially as obtained and tested through the scientific method and concerned with the physical world. Now notice those last two words. Science is concerned with the physical world, the material world, processes that are testable and reproducible. On the other hand, the scope of Christianity, it extends beyond the natural world and it endeavors to also reveal and explain supernatural realities. The scope of these two is different. And to those of you who are, who are kind of putting up walls saying, see, that, that's where you lose me. I believe in God, but I don't believe in the supernatural. Let me press you. If you do believe in a God, for example, who exists outside of this physical world, why is it so hard to, to believe that he wouldn't be given to sometimes work in ways that are not confined to the laws of nature. Like if there's a God who exists supernaturally, it's actually logical to assume that he will sometimes act supernaturally. But it's a matter of scope. And so here's today's big idea. It's that Jesus answers the questions science doesn't reach. And I'm not saying that to, to be a put down to science, like science can't touch Jesus. No, I'm just saying that, that he's addressing questions that science, by definition, doesn't endeavor to or want to answer. By definition, things like miracles or supernatural occurrences aren't subject to the scientific method. They can't be observed or reproduced. And science is incredible, but it's also not our only means of accessing truth or defining reality. And so you may be thinking, well, you know, you, you can keep believing your fairy tales, Pastor, but for me, the only things that are real are those things that are verified by science. And I would say back to you, are you sure? Like there are other things that we experience every day that I think we would agree are real and that we would all experience as true, but they're also not verifiable by the scientific method. For example, you can't put love under a microscope. How about beauty? How can you explain your inborn appreciation of beauty like being awed by a sunset or having your breath taken away by an ocean? How do you explain that in terms of survival of the fittest? How about hope? Hope is something that we all experience and it's a true and powerful force, but it isn't observable through natural means. These things are non-verifiable through something like the scientific method, and yet we know them to be real and true. You see, science was designed to answer some of the questions of our existence and how the world works. And I'll be the first in line to declare that science is amazing. It's incredible. Scientific advances have made our world so much better. And I thank God regularly that I get to live in a time like this where we've benefited so much from science. But we must also acknowledge that science isn't designed to answer the bigger existential questions of faith and ultimate meaning and purpose. Jesus answers those questions that science doesn't reach. 
Now, understanding these differences can help us to make sense of this relationship. Historically, when science and Christianity have both failed to stay in their lanes, it has always caused problems. And so I want to acknowledge at the outset that Christianity and science can both get it wrong. They can both overstep their bounds. On the Christian side, there are lots of examples when Christianity has overstepped in the name of Jesus. Bad things happen when thoughtful faith turns into blind faith. Galileo, for example, was charged by the church with suspicion of heresy for supporting the, the heliocentric view of the universe. Christian Emperor Justinian removed all pagan professors from schools of higher education while the church was in charge. The Bible has been thumped as a science book in arenas that it, it was probably never meant to be one. Christians at times have resisted technological innovations and have been late to the party on important scientific advances. Now, in modern times, there are remnants of, of, of fundamentalism that, that are still alive and well. And some people believe, you know, it's not in the Bible. I don't believe it. Well, all the way back in the fourth century, even St. Augustine indicated that Christians can't just bring the Bible to discussions about nature and the nature of the world, or you're gonna look foolish. Like we need to consider math and physics and all manner of learning. This is Augustine in the fourth century. All truth is in fact God's truth. So often Christianity has overstepped when one of the, of the following three factors is present. So, so one, when there's a corrupted leader, Two, when faith has become intermingled with politics or political activism or nationalism. And three, when Christianity has been influenced by big businesses and financial incentives and corporate interests, when Jesus is turned into a commodity that sells. Historically, this is when Christianity has gone wrong. Compromised leaders, political interests, financial incentives. Now, I wanna suggest that science isn't perfect here. Science can also overstep its bounds. Now, for much of history, science was pure and neutral uh, as a discipline. And to this day, the vast majority of scientists and people in scientific fields are the best and brightest in the world. I cheer you on if that's you. They work hard, they're brilliant, they're singularly driven to bring helpful breakthroughs to humanity. But even in just my lifetime, I've seen a kind of religious fervor develop around science. Some, some people have brought in to, to an, bought into an almost blind faith in science, the same mistake that religious people can make. I want to remind you again what science is. Science is not right or wrong. Science is not a belief or a fact. Science is not an individual or an organization. Science is a process. It pursues and applies evidence-based knowledge. It tests. It constantly challenges theories and hypotheses. And as new evidence emerges, science changes. Science isn't a person. During the pandemic, a prominent scientist went on TV and said, I am the science. He was basically saying to disagree with me is to disagree with science. And I just want to say, that's not how science works, dude. That's the same way religions get corrupted when it becomes about one person. So, so I wanted to shout at my TV, like, don't make the same mistake religions have made. But two, science can also overstep when it gets intermingled with government interests. Politicians love to quote science out of context almost as much as they love to quote the Bible out of context. But when governments and politicians march out scientists onto a stage, it's often not about science. It's about power. It's about getting reelected. 
And third, corporate interests can also get science out of whack when financial incentives are in the mix and the corporations who are funding the science are also controlling the media and the messaging and the advertising, things can go sideways. And so people will say things like, well, the science says X, Y, or Z. In many cases, the truth is that a corporation says X, Y, or Z, or the political narrative says X, Y, or Z. And just like religion, Science can go wrong when it's followed with a kind of blind faith and then becomes corrupted by compromised leaders, political interests, and financial incentives. Now, I just described when these two things get it wrong, but I don't think faith and science are on opposite sides. I think that Christians should love science. I think that we should be on the edge of our seats for the next discovery. And so for the rest of my time today, I wanna to ask four what if questions about faith and science. And I'm hoping that these questions can bring clarity to those of you who may be unconvinced that the two can get along. The first question is this, what if Christianity and science are friends, not enemies? Did you know that historically much of science originated and was advanced by Christians? And it was encouraged by the church. For example, two Franciscan friars, Roger Bacon and William of Ockham, that they laid the foundations for the scientific method. Robert Boyle, whose name is memorialized in Boyle's Law, was another key player in the development of science. Boyle was a devout Christian, heavily invested in evangelism and Bible translation. Lord Kelvin, where we get the Kelvin unit of temperature, he, he was a devout Christian, one of the first scientists to calculate the age of the earth in millions rather than thousands of years. Gregor Mendel was a Catholic friar who was known as the founding genius of genetics itself. Albert Einstein kept three pictures of three scientific heroes of his on the wall of his study, Isaac Newton, Michael Faraday, and James Clerk Maxwell, all believers in God. For those three men, science and faith went hand in hand and studying God's creation was an act of worship. And so Christianity allowed for the tenets of modern science to grow and thrive. Because Christians believe that God is an intelligent and orderly creator, it makes sense that science would thrive, that the laws of nature would exhibit order and patterns and regularity. And so this modern narrative that's around that Christians are scared of science or any kind of deep thinking, guys, it's simply historically not true. Historically, actually, Christianity is responsible for much of the advancement of science in the world. And what if those scientists had it right? Like, what if science and faith working together make sense of this world better than an atheistic or, or secular worldview can make sense of it alone? Did you know that only a small minority of scientists are atheists? As much as people want to say, like, if you're a secular person, you have to believe in, in, in reason and truth and evidence, but if you're a religious person, you believe in these fairy tales and huge leaps of faith. The truth is, everybody's betting on faith. Science can only take you so far before faith kicks in. Because as I said, science is not positioned to answer the ultimate questions. It's called to make conclusions about what we can see. But everyone's putting faith in some belief system. So if you're an atheist today or an agnostic or even somebody who says, you know, I don't believe in anything. Well, that's a belief system. You believe in not believing in anything. And you're putting faith in that system. So even the most secular person has lots of ultimate beliefs about reality that can't be proven through science. And those beliefs require well, faith. So if you have beliefs about how we got here, or what is your identity, or what will give you meaning and purpose in life, or what are trustworthy sources of truth, you're basing those beliefs on faith. And maybe it's faith in yourself. Maybe it's faith in your own ability to figure it out. Maybe it's faith in someone 
that you read or follow. Maybe it's faith in an influencer. Maybe it's faith in your parents or in your college professor. Maybe it's faith in Joe Rogan or Anthony Fauci or Rachel Maddow or Tucker Carlson. But as much of a purist as you'd like to claim to be, basing all of your beliefs only on evidence, you believe what you believe based on where you place your faith. See, the choice isn't whether you have faith or you don't have faith. The choice is, where are you placing your faith? And so here's my second what if question. What if science points us to God? Like what if God is actually the most logical object in, in, in whom to place our faith? I wanna read a passage from the Bible to you from Romans chapter one, verses 19 through 23. Paul says this, what can be known about God is plain to them, that is people, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, they have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, the people, are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Notice here, God has revealed himself through the created universe. His attributes, it says, and his power and his very nature are revealed in the things that have been made. This is called God's general revelation. It's the way that he's revealed himself to the whole world. It's also the foundational basis for all of science and for the scientific method. And, and look what it says next. He says that they're without excuse. He's saying, don't, don't try to disconnect the creation from the creator because all the stuff that you're looking at down here, all the stuff that you're researching and studying and investigating and doing all these experiments on, it all points to me. God says, keep doing all those things. But as you discover more and more about creation, it's gonna ultimately give you insights into, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna point you toward my attributes and my power and my nature. And so in a perfect world, our scientific discoveries would actually lead us to worship and not divisiveness. And so if you came in today thinking, you know, that if you believe in science, you can't believe in God. Like you heard that one college class freshman year, you read that one book or you got onto Reddit or you deep Googled an issue that you had questions about and you concluded, oh, there's science and then there's God. And if you believe in science, I can't really believe in God. Here we have the Bible from God himself saying that all scientific discoveries will actually point to him. This is not two sides. This is not a war. This is not an either or. This is God saying, I want you to see how the evidence points you to me. But here's the actual problem. Verse 21, Paul says that the issue is not a lack of evidence. The issue is a suppression of the evidence. The problem is not that the evidence isn't there. It's that we overlook the evidence for God's existence because we would rather believe something else. So, so maybe this isn't a head issue. Maybe the evidence is there and the intellect is there, but maybe it's a heart issue that, that we're just not willing to, to believe. Some of you have had those moments where your mind made room for the possibility of God, but your heart wouldn't honor him. You, you couldn't bring yourself to surrender to him. And if that's you today, I hope that you're willing to consider that God hasn't given up on trying to get your attention. Like when the sun comes up tomorrow morning, it isn't only because of the earth's rotation, but because God is love. And behind all the wonderful beauty and the scientific study of this world, he wants you to discover the one who made it all. You know, in 1929, Edwin Hubble made what has been called the greatest scientific discovery of the 20th century. He discovered that the universe itself actually had a beginning. 
One second it wasn't here and then it was here. And as much as people like to think that the idea of a big bang was bad for the Bible and for Christians, the fact is it's very inconvenient for secular atheists whose heart was already set on there being no God because now they have, a, have to do a whole bunch of intellectual gymnastics to try to show how all of this could happen without considering that maybe where you see design, there wasn't actually a designer. Maybe where you see that, that something began, there had to be a cause outside of itself because you see a cornerstone scientific finding is that everything that has a beginning has a cause. Nothing just magically pops into being. Cell phones don't just come out of nowhere. A new tree in the backyard, a pepperoni pizza doesn't just appear out of nothing. Everything that has a beginning has a cause. One of the prominent scientific theories right now to deal with what caused the Big Bang is called, get this, the nothing hypothesis. Yes, you heard me right, and here's how it goes. What caused the Big Bang? Nothing. Did it happen? Yes. What caused it? Nothing, it just happened. You mean it just happened? What made it happen? Nothing. Listen, you can call believing in Jesus' resurrection a leap of faith, but bro, that is a leap of faith. And so as scientific and as data-driven and as well-researched as we wanna make this thing sound, there is a point where all the evidence takes us to an expression of faith in something ultimate, whether it's God or the nothing hypothesis, but whatever it is, it requires some faith. You see, the evidence in creation actually points us toward God and not away from him. There's a second kind of revelation, it's called special revelation, and that comes not just through nature, it comes through Jesus. Which brings us what, to what we celebrate today, the resurrection of Jesus. You know, it was investigating the resurrection for months, almost 30 years ago, that led me from not believing in God to faith in Jesus Christ. I couldn't shake the evidence that emanated from the resurrection story. There are a couple of things that I know to be true. The last time I checked, the death rate for human beings was still hovering, hovering right around 100%. <laughs> we all die. But second, the, the human race has always understood dead people tend to remain dead. However, the historical and literary and eyewitness evidence points to the fact that Jesus of Nazareth is no longer dead. And if he's no longer dead, well, that changes everything. As, as we said at the beginning, if this didn't happen, then even our gathering here today is foolishness, but there's so much evidence. Starting with the historical reliability of the Gospels themselves, there's overwhelming evidence, more so than with any other ancient text of, of the historical reliability of the four Gospels. And additional archeological finds and emerging evidence have only confirmed the accuracy and validity of these texts. The resurrection accounts then are based on extensive eyewitness evidence. The eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus number in the hundreds. In fact, there were 500 people at one time who witnessed the risen Christ after he was killed and put in a tomb. And so while some may contend that the resurrection of Jesus was merely kind of wishful thinking on the part of his followers who, who just got lost in the ecstasy of wanting his resurrection to be true, no, the, the disciples, they lived and died as if it were true. Even to the point where his disciples were martyred for their belief. And listen, guys, people don't typically agree to torture and death for something that they know to be a lie, a fairy tale, that they're actively covering up. Well, then there was the realization of the, the promised experience of the Holy Spirit. Like the church was born on Pentecost with a miraculous event witnessed by thousands that turned an empire upside down. It was the power of the Spirit. 
Then there was the inability of Jesus' opponents to, to produce the corpse, the body of Jesus. Like if this new movement was running rampant in your empire, the Romans should have just produced the body to make it all go away. So, so can the resurrection be proven through scientific methods? No, but science wasn't meant to prove supernatural events. However, that doesn't mean that it's a blind leap of faith. There is overwhelming, credible evidence that the resurrection happened in history. Private investigators and investigative journalists have set out to use their skills to disprove the resurrection based on evidence and have come back convinced that Christianity is true and they've given their lives to this Jesus. Because here's the truth, the resurrection of Jesus is not an event that remains in the past. His power and his presence continue to be alive and well in his people throughout the world to this day. And because he's a supernatural God, he is positioned to answer the bigger questions. Here's the third what if questions based on my big idea. It says, what if Jesus answers the questions science doesn't reach? Like science is positioned to reach, or to answer the how questions but Jesus is positioned to answer the why and where and who questions. And in this way, faith and science need each other. Because even if you completely understand the how, you'll always be left wondering why and where and who. Questions like, why do I exist? Like when it comes to you, why? Why do you wake up in the morning? Why do you exist? Why do you feel like there's something more? Why do you long for meaning and purpose if this is all there is? This is the first question science doesn't reach. How about where? Where did I come from and where am I going? Physics and genetics and geology and math, these things can only lead us so far. They can present a certain amount of evidence, but the big question, like where did we come from and where are we going? Where do we search for ultimate truth? Where will I go when I die? Jesus changed the answers to these questions. And finally, who? Who will I put my faith in? Like when it comes to you, who is it? That's the question, like atheist, agnostic, Christian. Who? Who, who will you trust? Who will you believe? Who will you, who, who will you trust to provide you ultimate answers? I saw a show recently and there was a dialogue between a skeptic and a person of faith and they were comparing viewpoints on what happens when you die. And the skeptic described in, in great scientific detail the, the naturalistic version of death. He said things like, you know, here's what's gonna happen. My, my heart is gonna stop and then there's clinical death and then my brain cells will start dying and there'll be a final dump of DMT which will cause one big grand final dream and, and, and that dream will include all of my life events and then it'll all stop and then the electricity will disperse from my brain and it will just leave me entirely and, and just dead tissue will be left behind. I'll have no memory, I'll have no awareness that I ever was and when the microbes that make up my skin and body, they'll, they'll begin to eat me away and he says, and, and when they start doing that, then I'm serving a purpose. I'm feeding life and I'm, I'm broken apart and all the littlest pieces of me are just recycled and I'm billions of other places and my atoms are, are in plants and bugs and animals. And you can see in his description and, and right at the end there is this quick grasp at hoping that science can answer the why. Like there's this longing, even at the end there, that, that for some meaning, for some purpose in, in it all. And the best purpose he could come up with, he says, at least I'll be bug food. That's where a purely naturalistic view of the world leads. The best and only outcome of your life is that you and I will become fertilizer and we'll grow more stuff for people who make the next go round on this planet. But we have a sense, don't we, that there's more than that. Like, and I think it's even more than a sense. We have, we have evidence that there's a God who created the heavens and the earth. 
that the design that we see all around us points us to a designer. But, but not just that, long ago, the universe maker became the sin bearer. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he died a sinner's death. And there is an undeniable evidence that, that he did what no one else ever did, that he conquered death and that he lives on and he's made himself and his power and his salvation available to you and me. And so one final question, what if, what if Jesus is the answer you're searching for? I wanna to go to an Old Testament passage to wrap up, but Isaiah 40 is this Old Testament text that talks about the greatness of God, how he stretches out the expanses of the universe like a tent, how he, he measures out the waters of the ocean, how he weighs the mountains on scales, how he leads forth the starry hosts one by one. It's very scientific language. It's this great description of how God and science intertwine, but then the passage takes a turn. And so after painting this huge picture of a supernatural God and his creation, it says, but why do you complain, oh, oh Jacob? Why do you say that your way has been hidden from God, that your cause has been disregarded by God? You see, people had this feeling that God had lost sight of them, that God had abandoned them. And I wonder if the same is true for some of you today who say, I believe in God, but... I believe in God, but I don't know about all this supernatural stuff. I don't know about all this miracle stuff, the, the resurrection power stuff. Maybe, just maybe, that comes from a deep longing in you, a deep place in your heart that says, because if Jesus really raised from the dead, then, then why do I feel so lonely? Like, why do I feel so abandoned? In fact, I'm willing to accept that God made the world. I believe something like this universe demands a godlike explanation, but when this faith thing gets personal, like what really matters most to me right now, what I really need to know right now is does God see what I'm going through? Like, does he see what I'm carrying? Does he care that sometimes it feels like I, can, I can't take any more steps? Can he do something? That's what I need to know. And so Isaiah answers with another question. It's a question for you today. He says, do you not know have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God and he will not grow tired or weary. His, underst his understanding no one can fathom. And then he says, but, but that same creator God, here's what he loves to do. He gives strength to the weary. He gives power to the faint. Even young men, he says, feel exhausted sometimes. But those who hope in the Lord that, that he will renew their strength, they'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. Do you see what he's doing? He's connecting the dots from this all-powerful, almighty creator God, the one who sent his son to die, and he's saying that he's not forgotten you. In fact, the only place you'll find answers to your questions about meaning and purpose and strength for your life is in him. Your purpose is not to become worm food one day. You know deep down that there's more than that. Your purpose is to walk in the ways of your creator during this lifetime, the one who made a way through the supernatural death and resurrection of Jesus. Let's worship him now.